All right, Acts chapter 1, the title of the Bible study tonight is The Power and Authority of the First Century Church. You'll see there in your handout we have about three or four passages that are the key text passages for tonight that we're going to walk through in way of introduction and then give some application. So I pray that the Lord will use this to be a blessing tonight. Acts chapter 1, oh, and I was going to say also, I tried to take the scriptures tonight that we're not going to turn to and print them out in the handout. I know that sometimes it gets hard to follow along when I've got so many scriptures, but it's like if we took the time to turn to each and every one, we'd never get through the lesson and it wouldn't really flow. And I said maybe someday we'll be able to do the PowerPoint and have them up on a screen where people can follow along when we're moving quickly. But for now, at least on Wednesday nights, I thought if I have a lot, maybe I'll try and just put them in with the handout. So that way when I get there, you can just look down at your notes and read along and hopefully take it in a little bit better than when I'm just reading them off quite a bit. So here we go. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that he, notice that it says, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Some of what we're looking at as the foundation of these passages to introduce the study tonight is the role of the Holy Spirit and how the text takes the time to indicate that it was through the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God that they carried forth the works and actions of the first century church. It was a church that is founded by God, and as such, as we look to carry out His commandments, it must be done through the blessing and the power of God in order for it to work. And verse number 2 points out that Jesus gave His commandments to the apostles through the Holy Ghost. Even Jesus Christ chose to do His miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit showing his role as the Son, but always as a member of the Trinity, equal to the Father and equal to the Holy Spirit, and proving that the the works of God he wanted his disciples to do were to be carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why I believe he chose to do them that way as well. Verse 3 says of Jesus, "...to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion..." By many infallible proofs. That's a great phrase right there. Many infallible proofs abound, even in the world today, that point to the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Here Jesus tells them, when I leave, when I ascend up to heaven, I don't want you to run off immediately into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to wait at Jerusalem until you get the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me. Then he references in verse 5, how John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Jesus had promised his disciples 
that a comforter would come. He said, I'm going to depart and go up to heaven, but don't be afraid. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send you the comforter from heaven and he will abide with you. And that was a name for the Holy Spirit, was the comforter, for that is a role that he plays within our hearts. Is teaches us the word of God, gives us power to obey the commandments of God and comforts our hearts that God is in control. John baptized with water, but the baptism of the Holy Ghost is referenced in verse number 5, which we believe is talking about the day of Pentecost. That follows immediately after chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit comes down and for the first time indwells the body of every single believer. And then going forward in this day and age, we believe that at the moment of salvation... The baptism of the Holy Ghost is something that we all experience because the Holy Spirit is given to indwell each and every believer. But at this time, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to be given in such a way. And that was to happen on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus says, do not run out immediately and tell everybody about me. Wait at Jerusalem. And after the Holy Spirit is given, then go fulfill the commands I gave you. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They kept asking over and over again, when are you going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies in Psalms and Zechariah, where it talks about the Messiah shall reign upon the throne and put down all of his enemies? And they said, Lord, when are you going to take out the Romans, our oppressors? And well, now are you going to install your kingdom right before he goes back up to heaven? They're still missing the point all the way up till now, because he tried to tell them at this point in history, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to go to my father and prepare a place for you. And eventually I'll come back for you. And then eventually after that, I will come to earth and I will set up my kingdom. But they wanted to know right before he went back up to heaven, are you going to set up the kingdom now? Verse seven. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. Jesus said, if they say to you, the Son of Man is here or He is there, don't believe them. If they say Jesus Christ in the flesh is preaching at a church down in Dallas, don't go. It's not Him. It's a lie. It's another spirit. And Jesus said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Not the angels, not the Son, but the Father only holds within His knowledge when Jesus is returning. So it's not for us to worry about predicting when he's coming back. Harold Camping comes to mind. He tried three times to predict. I cracked the code. Jesus is coming back on this date. And every time we do that, we play the fool because we disobey the word of God that tells us not to worry about the times or the seasons that only the Father is in control of. And when Jesus explicitly said, you do not know the day or the hour, only the Father does. And it causes people to mock the event of Jesus' return. Could Jesus have come back on the days he predicted? Yes, but he could have come back the day before or the day after or today or tomorrow. And we should never mock or doubt the event of Jesus returning, for the Son of God has promised He's coming back. Verse 8, He says, So don't worry about the times or the seasons, the prophecy, when I'm setting up the kingdom. That's not what is for you to worry about. But here is what you're supposed to worry about, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So he tells them it is not 
your problem to figure out when is Jesus coming back and setting up the kingdom. It is your responsibility rather to be busy doing what? Being a witness in Jerusalem, then the areas around it, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're not supposed to be preoccupied and worried about with predicting future end-time events, but rather we're supposed to be preoccupied with spreading the gospel to those around us and serving Christ and know that He is in charge of when He will come back. But notice that He says in verse number 8, "...but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you." And after that, then ye shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus here is letting the foundation of the early church, the twelve apostles, he's letting them know you cannot do the work of God without the empowerment of God. Well, what about the time that would be wasted while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? No, if we try to do the work of God without the power of God, it will fail. He said, wait till the Holy Spirit is given and I empower you to do the work. Then go forward and carry the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 4. And we know that there in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost was given. The miracle of tongues was given and people heard the gospel, understood it in their own language and they were saved. And then they began to go and to spread the gospel with great power. Acts chapter 4, notice that it says of Peter in verse number 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He begins to preach this long sermon, but notice that it says beginning in verse number 8, he was not just preaching of his own ideas or of his own human intellect or abilities, but the text of the Scripture lets us know that before Peter got up to preach, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God was empowering him to do the work of God. Look at verse 31, all the way down to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they, they had all things common. Verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. They gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just the fact that He died, not just that He rose again, but that it proved He was the Son of God, and that He was the only way to heaven, and there wouldn't be salvation in any other name. And as they gave that witness, it says they gave it with great power. Why? Because verse 31 says that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God should give us a great comfort to know that God has not set us out all on our own to try and figure out how to do the work of God or to do it through our own ability. But the very fact that we come to church tonight is a step of faith that the Holy Spirit will give us insights through the preaching of the Word and speak to our hearts that we might not get if we weren't following the Bible command to come together and to study and to listen to the preaching. When we try and tell someone about Jesus, it's sort of the ultimate test of faith, step of faith, 
to say, well, here's a person that does not believe in God and I'm going to try to talk to them and hope that either now or eventually in the future, as a result of my conversation, they will consider eternal truths about sin, about hell, about heaven, about Jesus, about His death, about His resurrection, and then that they will in sincerity repent and turn and by faith call on the name of Jesus and that will change their whole eternity. It seems so daunting and it almost seems, how can we do that? But it's not us that does it. We are simply a witness. We simply tell what God has done. We simply tell what God has said. And I've seen it happen. You speak to someone and the Holy Spirit grips their heart. And within them, there is a pull and a conviction that is telling them with all of their being, this is the truth. This is what God has said. I have to repent. And people will hear the gospel and they'll clench their fist and they'll get tight because the Spirit of God brings conviction to those we're trying to witness to. It's not up to us to be the best we can be at our delivery and we have to be smooth enough to talk people into coming to Jesus, though we should do the best that we can. Rather, it is the Spirit of God that convicts and draws and pulls and goes with us. It says that Jesus sent them out two by two for the Great Commission. And then he told them, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us as we try and give the gospel. I do believe that I probably have to be careful of this. But when you're witnessing to someone, the main goal is not to win a debate. It's not to show off your knowledge or to show them I can answer your arguments better than you can answer mine. It's to give the gospel in simplicity and trust that the Spirit of God will reveal it to their heart. And then it's up to them to do what they will with the Word of God that we share with them. They gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus with great power, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, two more passages we'll turn to here before we get to the outline. Luke chapter 24 And verse 45, this is Jesus walking with them on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know that it was Jesus. I think I'm getting that out of order. I'm sorry. I think that's a little bit uh, earlier in the chapter. He's talking to them on the road to Emmaus. And then it says in verse 36 that Jesus himself stood up in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. And he continues talking. I am sorry, is that all running together? Is that the same story or does he change settings? In verse 36 it changes and says he was stood in the midst. He uh, goes from the Emmaus to the upper room of the disciples. To the upper room of the disciples. Thank you. I thought that's what it was saying as I looked there and then, uh, I'm sorry, it was hot today. My mind is getting confused. Thank you, sir. At any rate, verse 45 is Jesus. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I've said this often, you just have to define repentance the way the Bible does, but it's abundantly clear repentance is part of what brings us to Christ. Here Jesus said repentance should be preached everywhere. Verse 48, he says this, And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, 
But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endowed with power from on high. Another account of the same message where he says you're going to be witnesses of these things. What's these things? The death of Jesus Christ, the suffering, the resurrection, repentance, remission of sin. You're going to be witnesses of these things, but wait at Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit is given. Scripture tells us that without God, we can do nothing. Without God, we can do nothing. John chapter 15, we'll look at just the first five verses here. I refer to this passage often, but I believe it's such a crucial passage for us as Christians and that fits with what we're talking about tonight. Here, Christ tells His disciples that we are simply branches and that unless we are connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, we will not be able to bring forth fruit. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I'm getting kind of to the main point of what I'm trying to say tonight. If we try to do the work of God without the power of God and the blessing of God, we will utterly fail. Jesus said, go to a tree and take a branch and snap it off and then take it over all by itself. Lay it in the parking lot. It's not going to bring forth fruit. It's what we call dead. It's going to begin to wither. The fruit can't come. Why? Because it has to be connected to the tree that's connected to the ground, that's connected to the roots that brings the nutrients and allows that branch to bring forth fruit that grows, that gives it life. And Jesus said, as you break the branch off the tree and it cannot bring forth fruit, no more can ye except ye abide in me. You will be utterly helpless by yourself to try and produce spiritual fruit if God is not blessing that endeavor, if God is not empowering it by the power of your spirit. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I have that phrase underlined in my Bible and I try to remind myself when I see it. Jesus said, without me, you can do not a little bit, not, well, just short of what I've called you to do. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. I looked that word nothing up in the Greek and you know what it really means? It means nothing. I know I've told that one a lot before, but I like to tell that one. It means without Jesus Christ's blessing, we're going to bring back zero spiritually... What was the power of the first century church? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God Himself enabling them to do what He called them to do. I tried to preach on my first Sunday from Hebrews 11 by faith and say faith is saying God said it. I believe it. And I'm going to obey what God has told me to do because I believe God will keep His promises. It will say, God, I'll do what you've called me to do, what you command me to do. And I believe that as I do it, you're going to keep your promises and you're going to bless. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He told us to go be the witnesses. He told us to preach the word. He told us to live for him. But he said, I'm the one that's going to build the church. And we have to recognize this. 
If we try without His enablement, we will fail. God told them not to attempt to do His work until they had His power. The book of James tells us, be wary and watch out, he says, you that say today and tomorrow we will buy and sell and get gain and we'll go to this city. What is he talking about? Everyday life. We want to start this business. We want to trade. We want to get ahead. We want to do these things. And he says, go to now you that say that. He's saying, watch out, be careful, for you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. For this ye ought to say. What are the words it says we ought to say? If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we'll go to such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. So if we're supposed to say that for even secular endeavors, how much more should we say that even in spiritual things, even in good things? We don't want to boast and say this is what we're going to accomplish We should say, if the Lord will, we'll be able to do this. If God blesses us, we'll be able to see some things done. Why? Because if we don't acknowledge that our plans are dependent upon God blessing them, then we're being proud and we're failing to acknowledge the fact that God may withhold from us our plans that we want to see come to pass. That's why you'll hear people say, well, Lord willing, this will get done. And Lord willing, in the creek don't rise. We're going to do this and we're going to build that. It's biblical because we're acknowledging that without God's blessing, we will not be able to achieve that which we are setting out to do. We have to remember that as a church, we're not running a business. It's not simply about finding out what's the best way that we could do things that would get people to come because some churches begin to say, well, let's just basically not preach the Bible anymore. Maybe more people will come because the message of the Bible is offensive. We want to find people and connect with people who are looking for a church like this. But also Jesus said two things. He said the message of the gospel is a stumbling block. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. He's a rock of offense. You have to believe in Jesus and repent of your wickedness or you're going to go to hell. That's an offensive message. But what's the target audience to take that message to? Every creature under the sun. Everyone. So we have to remember, we can't just approach this as what what are we going to do that's going to make success and what can we put into place that will help us and will bless us. Because if we're doing it without the blessing and anointing of God, even if it were to grow a crowd, it would not be blessed of God. That's not our number one goal is just to get a crowd. There's a crowd at the bar every Friday night. There's a crowd at the football game. And maybe God wants to give us an army more than He wants to give us a crowd. What what am I saying? I'm simply saying that we're a church, we're a ministry, and we have to acknowledge that before we run, before we can get anything done that we would like to see done, we have to have the anointing of God. We have to have His blessing. We have to have His power. Or we will fail without it. It was said of the Titanic, well, someone's made a ship that even God couldn't sink. But it did. Paul said that there were certain that were following false teachings and they made shipwreck of their lives. It got them off track. And he said, I have to be careful and stay under my body lest I myself should become a castaway when I have preached the gospel to others. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. If he knew that in the weakness of his flesh he could become a castaway and he could be backslidden and he could fall out of the will of God, 
We have to be careful and remember we need to do what Jesus said. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Not just hurt or hinder, but devour is what Satan would desire to do to the people of God and the church of God. And I just want to say while, while we're talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we aren't talking about a show. We're not talking about being in the flesh or trying to impress other people or get up and run around the building and everybody shouts at the top of their lungs and that means that God really showed up. Maybe God does show up sometimes in some of that shouting and praising God or all that. Maybe some of it could be, but I'm afraid a whole lot of it ends up just being a work of the flesh trying to put on a show and trying to impress people and show that, oh, God is really here. Sometimes at certain meetings or revivals, they'll get made fun of a little bit because they do a forced altar call, where they'll call it, where they play the music and play the music and they'll say, well, you need to come forward and you need to make a decision. If you don't write it down on a card, then there's something wrong with you. I think I heard someone say they were at a meeting one time where they passed the offering plate seven times. And well, God is in this thing till we reach our goal. We're just going to keep passing it and passing it and not let you go home till we raise enough money. We were at a youth meeting one time, Jason and I were when we were teenagers, and they had a slot scheduled in the afternoon where we were all going to go out and pass out some tracts and invite people to church and try to witness to people, and it rained and rained and rained. So they pivoted, and they had an extra speaking session, but when the speaking session was over, I think they had the speaking session scheduled, and after we were supposed to go out, they had an invitation that I think lasted about an hour and a half. And I remember there was one teenager in our youth group that... He, uh, he went down there and made a decision and filled out a card after about 45 minutes. And then the next day he said, he said, I'll be honest, I didn't really want to do anything. I was just tired of sitting there. He said, I had to move and go do something somewhere. And then one of the preachers said later, I told my wife I wanted to go to the ones who didn't come write a decision on a card and tell them, why didn't you make a decision? I'm going to write that down on a card. And I'm not saying that God can't be in some of those things. It'd be like, oh, well, don't make it emotional. I think maybe sometimes we can be emotional about pleading with people to get saved or to give your life to Christ. But what I'm saying is I'm not talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit being putting on a show or having everyone come down to say a prayer at a certain time. And that means that God God really blessed it. What I'm talking about is what they did in the first century church, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Their faith wasn't confined to a building or an emotional state during a service, but they went out and lived their lives for God and He blessed the preaching of His Word and the living out of their faith in a way that they could not have done through their own power and in their own flesh. And God blessed it mightily. And the church grew not because they had a great strategy or the best technology but because the Holy Spirit of God used the people of God to do His work. And I'm not a charismatic, but I do believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and I believe each and every one of us need the power of the Spirit of God and the fullness of the Holy Ghost, not just to witness but we or in church, but we need the presence of the Spirit of God in our homes on our job site, where we go to school, praying for Him to bless our health. Every day, there is no substitute for the fullness of God. Not our own education, not our own intelligence or strategy or power of our flesh. Listen to this statement. Unless we are persuaded of our absolute need of God, every moment of every day, unless we realize how much we need Him, 
then we will not have the power of the first century church. The first statement I have here up at the beginning of uh, your handout, the fullness of the Spirit is a command for all believers. A command for all believers. And then I have the scripture underneath it. You can read along. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it continues on, making melody in our heart to the Lord and giving thanks for all things unto God. But notice that verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, It's wrong to get drunk because you are controlled by it. You give yourself over to that substance. But rather, as a contrast, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit of God. Give yourself over to His power and His influence rather than to alcohol. Notice what he says, but be filled with the Spirit. It's an instruction. It's a command. The same as any other command in the Bible, we are instructed directly from the Word of God as Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. He's with every single one of us. He abides with us. He stays with us. We're told in 1 Corinthians, Know ye not, ye are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. A temple is what God dwells in. And our body is a temple that the Spirit of God dwells in. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in in you. Notice what he says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Here Jesus references the Holy Spirit coming as I will come to you. Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me this long? And you ask, show me the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and my Father are one. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three separate, distinct beings, yet one God. And if we have the presence of the Spirit, we have the presence of the Father, and we have the presence of Jesus Christ. God did the following for the first century church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, God changed their speech. God changed their speech. I'm going to turn over to Acts chapter 2. And I'll move quickly to finish this up here with the time that we have here tonight. Acts chapter number 2, in verse 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit was given. After that, we see the miracle of tongues. Then look at verse number 12. And they all were amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? These are people getting saved, hearing the word of God in their own Uh, uh, in a different language, understanding it in their own and calling upon Jesus. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Notice what he's doing. He's speaking. He's speaking up for God. The Holy Spirit has been given and God changes His speech and He's using His actual words to tell about Christ and what He has done. 
Verse 15, For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. You have to love Peter. We're not drunk. It's too early. We don't get drunk this early in the day. Maybe, you know, we're Christians. We don't do that sort of thing. He just said, it's the third hour. We're not drunk yet. <laughs> just Anyway, he was pointing to the fact, no, we're not drunk. But verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It is prophesied. The day of Pentecost is prophesied in Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all your flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit. And what? They shall prophesy, meaning they would speak for the Lord the things of the Lord. Then look down at verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you (coughs) and unto your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he with many, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And evidence of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit of God is that we use our speech to speak up for God, to proclaim the truth, and to tell other people about Him. He used the truth. There you have in front of you Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of God tell people that they've been redeemed. Talk about His goodness and how His mercy endureth forever. Jeremiah 29, the prophet said, Then I said, I will not make mention of Him, nor speak any more in His name. He said, I'm fed up with these people, the Israelites... They don't want to hear about it anyway, so I'm just not going to speak about God. But His Word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Which means He could not withhold anymore. The Word of God burned in His heart, and as a child of God, He had to speak and tell what God had told Him to speak. A witness is someone who tells what he has seen. A witness is someone who testifies. When you call a witness into a courtroom, they don't just point to him and say, well, he saw what happened. You have to get up and be a witness and give testimony and say, this is what I saw. This is what happened. And as a Christian, we're supposed to be a witness to the world around us. Yes, through the way that we live, but also with our words. We testify. We tell people, this is what Jesus did. This is how you can be saved. This is how He saved me. This is what He has done for me. This is why we are called to be a witness for God. If you buy a new car and you're all excited about it, what do you usually do? You tell your friends about it. You tell your coworkers. If you bought a new house, if you're in a new relationship and you're excited about it, you tell people. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the Holy Spirit did for them. He changed their speech and they told people about Christ. Let us do that also. Verse 2. I mean, point number 2. God gave them boldness. God gave them boldness. That's on the next page there. Um, Acts chapter 4, 
Acts 4, 18 through 20. I'm sorry, that's back on the other page. That was pointing to the fact of if you're excited about something, you tell. A witness is someone who tells what they have seen. And I'm sorry, before you turn the page, Acts 4, 18 through 20 says, And they called them and commanded them not to what? Speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They didn't say, well, you can't talk about a generic God. You just can't tell about Jesus. Don't preach in His name. You'll have prayers today where they come and they will pray. And they won't pray in the name of Jesus. Because they want it to be a generic prayer that applies to all religions and all gods. They said, just don't speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They said God has called us to speak, to tell what Christ has done and what He's done for us. Now on the next page, point number two, God gave them boldness. God gave them boldness. If you look at Acts chapter 4, we'll just read two verses here instead of verse four through verse 8 through 13. Acts 4 and verse number 8. <clears throat> then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And he begins to preach Jesus to them. But again, the text notes that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. God was blessing what he was doing. Then see in verse 12, he told them, there's not salvation in any other. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when he saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. God gave them boldness. An evidence of the Holy Spirit was that they spoke and an evidence for the Holy Spirit is that they spoke with boldness. May we pray for God to give us courage and boldness and to stand for Him. And if we stop and think about it, what is there really to be afraid of? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's not be ashamed of our faith. Let's not be ashamed to preach the Bible. Let's not be ashamed to stand for what is right. Someone has said, it seems as if you think God's called you to be in the secret service. No, He's called us to be soldiers for Jesus Christ, to speak and to live for Him with boldness. And then number three, God gave them vision. God gave them vision. In verse 47 through 49, He gave them the great commission that they were to be witnesses of and go out after the Holy Spirit had been given. And often we use that word vision when we're talking about the future and asking for God to give us a vision and a burden. And sometimes I think verses even get used out of context. It says where there is no vision, the people perish. And I think in context that verse was talking about revelation from God, the Word of God being given to the prophets through the vision and how the people would perish unless there was a revelation of the Word of God. But we can, I think, accurately use the word of vision and burden for the future and praying and saying, Lord, how are we supposed to carry out your commands? Help us to do that. And they obeyed the command of God and went into all the world, beginning at Jerusalem, to preach the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul and others, I've talked about how they used different strategies and they went to the temple to witness to the Jews and they went to Mars Hill to preach to the Greeks and to the different context. People who needed to know Jesus Christ. 
In the last verse you have there, this testimony was given of the first century church. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. They were given a vision from God and they spoke and they had boldness and they went and they carried out the mission and the testimony was given of Christians, these that have turned the world upside down. And that's literally what happened. 3,000 people saved and baptized on the day of Pentecost. The gospel spread to all the nations like a wildfire and 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, we're sitting here tonight following Jesus Christ who lived the 33 and a half years in Jerusalem. Why? Because they turned the world upside down for Christ as they went and gave the gospel. Now that's what the people said, but was it really just them that did it? It was they that did it, but they did it through the power of the Holy Spirit of God because they waited for the Spirit to be given. And after it was, then they went forth and with speech and with boldness, and with vision for the future, they accomplished great things in the name of Jesus Christ. Our authority comes from God and comes from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that contradicts what the Bible says. Right. Because the Bible is the written Word of God. It's all given by inspiration. It's all sufficient. And all that we need is there for the future if we will study it, read it, and obey it. And pray that the Lord will bless us with the power of His Spirit to do His work that He has commissioned us to do, not through the strength of our flesh, but through His blessing. Heavenly Father, bless the Bible study tonight. May we seek to quench not the Spirit in our lives and to get rid of sin and other things that would draw us away from You, but help us rather to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and bless our church and our families as we try to live for You. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.